back. Hour number two of the Bill Michael Show. We are broadcasting live. We are here at the L.A. Convention Center on Radio Row and uh, just enjoying our time here. Kind of like I've been saying all along, it's kind of like a reunion after last year uh, was pretty much dismantled by COVID. And this year it has been uh, a pleasure to get back and see everybody. And and as we had mentioned, we just saw, uh, you know, the... uh, um, the guys from the McAfee show, uh, including A.J. Hawk, who's going to try to make his way over at some point here. And uh, we'll talk with him. But uh, we also want to talk, uh, obviously, there was a glaring weakness for the Green Bay Packers this season. And it was special teams, former special teams coach himself coming out of the NFL, uh, Mike Westoff making the rounds. Mike, how you been? I'm fine, thanks. I'm doing great. So, you know, obviously when we can say let's talk special teams, usually special teams is at its best when you're not talking about special teams, right? Well, in this day and age, maybe so. That's not exactly how I looked at it. Because most of my career, I was looking at it when they were talking about us being right at the top. So that's all. That's the only way I wanted to hear it. Um, when when you get into spe- – now, I, let me ask you this. Is it more coaching or players or the combination thereof? combination thereof and it always is you always have to have certain players because you can have you know you got a, you got a particular player and nothing can look very good and he makes it look great I mean that that can and Devin Hester did a little bit of that with Chicago um at one time uh I've been a little bit on the other side of it where I thought we had lots of players that ended up being very successful but I think uh what we were doing uh helped a great deal in that in that aspect of it it, it's a lot more to special teams than just merely saying we need 11 guys on this particular time at this particular moment in time. And then we just think of kicking and return. Kicking and return, that's what fans tend to think of. So when you start to game plan, because one thing that Shanahan noticed with the Packers going into the postseason, what there was a vulnerability there, and they specifically schemed for that. As a special teams coach, when you're sitting there, because I don't want to nitpick what Maurice Drayton did or didn't do, but obviously that became a glaring weakness for the Green Bay Packers. How do you, once you get into the season and there's problems, how do you go about fixing those problems? That, that's, a, that, that's a good question. And, and, that, and that really maybe doesn't have an answer to it. Because if you need to get into the season to figure it out, then you're in big trouble. You better figure it out way before that, buddy. Or you're in trouble. Uh, right. you know, when, you're, when you're the 32nd ranked special teams unit in the NFL, you've got problems all over the board. I mean, you can put, you can put all the special teams on a wall and, and throw darts with your eyes closed, and everything you hit something is screwed up. That's looked like that's what looked like Green Bay looked a little bit to me like. In this day and age, you, because of the way the rules have changed, you don't have the variables that you used to have on special teams. You don't have the number of plays. You just don't have them. It's so it's so much more simpler today than the complexities that we dealt with that I dealt with in my career. Now I'll give I'll give you a number. I'll give you a very specific number. Uh, my first thirty years in the National Football League. 30 years, um, not counting, not counting PATs and field goals, not counting those plays. I averaged 22 plays a game, 22 plays. I mean, that were actual plays, you know, kickoff, kickoff, return, punt, punt, return. My two years with the New Orleans Saints, seven. I went from 22 to seven. Now, you see, I'm not counting a touch, a ball is kicked for a touchback. I mean, I'm 74. I can run down today, please. You know, it's just different. It's just different. The number of plays are dramatically different. But you can't. Now, seven was with the Saints, which was very low because with Drew Brees, we hardly ever punted, and we were always indoors, so we had, you know, we had a propensity of touchbacks. But 
that number is at least around 10. That it, that, that's, that's, that's really all you have. That, so you yeah. better know what you're doing. Now, with an Aaron Rodgers, you're not a team that's punting a tremendous number of times. And the fact that you get in that situation, you get a punt block, because they isolate your center, they pull your guard out. I just watched it from the end. I didn't even watch the tape. I watched it on TV. I could tell what they did. They isolate the center. The personal protector goes the other way, and the guy runs up the middle and blocks the punt. Plus, you've got a punter takes three gigantic steps. I can take that many steps and get across the street to my neighbors. That's ridiculous. So there's a lot of things that they did that were really wrong. You know, did you have to analyze it? And you take a look at one thing, you know how you're going to beat these guys. Um, yeah. So you can't let that happen. That cannot happen today. You can't have that. Those basic things have to be executed. And if you can't do that, well, then, then you got to find somebody to get somebody in there knows how to do it. Now, I, I, I know Matt LaFleur said at one point when he was asked about special teams, that's not his forte. So what you are as a special teams coach, specifically if you have a head coach that that's not his forte, as stated, it's basically here's your unit, tell us what you need, and go get it done. And they, it, it's something that as a special, as a coordinator, you don't need somebody looking over your shoulder. Ultimately, the head coach is responsible for it, but that's your guys. I mean, you just say, this is what I need, this is what I have to have, and here we go, right? Even Don Shula, all the years I was with Don, uh, never, n- n- never didn't trust me. I, I ran even with him. I ran it completely with everybody. No one told me what to do. I, I, I knew it. I just did it. It's my responsibility, and it's up to me to get it done. Now, you have to work within a framework of the team and you know, the personnel and who's going to be active, and you know those things are all, are, all, are all variables that you have to account for. But this is your responsibility, and you've got to know this. You're not going to have, as I said, it's changed so dramatically. The number of key special teams players that I used to have is different from the number you have today or the number I had when I went to New Orleans. And we finished first, not 32nd. Big difference in that outfit you guys had to deal with. Um, but it was fun. You know, you learn how to do it. You learn how to adjust. You make you, know, you adjust with the rules. A lot of stuff I, I personally don't like. You know, I think they've taken a lot of it out and they've, they've gone overboard. I understand the reasons why. In fact, actually, I was talked to Roger Goodell this past fall. I was at a, the celebration for life for Coach Shula in Miami. I was talking with, with Roger, and he was he was teasing me a little bit about, you know, Mike, you can't complain about the rules because most of them we changed because of you. And I said, well, you might be right about that. And, and he made it pretty clear, and he told a group of people that uh, in the National Football League, this is, this is on the back cover of my book, by the way, in the National Football League, he said, Mike Westoff changed the game. So I kind I kind of like that, but nonetheless, the point is, understand the change, know what you have to do, figure it out. Don't let those kind of things be so devastating to you. You've got to get on top of that. And if you, you know, the good teams are, are, are on top of it. You know, as I said, the variables have have dramatically reduced, but the good teams know how to handle it, and they take advantage of those situations, and they don't ultimately just get beat. And that's what Green Bay let happen to them. And it's a shame because that's a very good football team that uh, really probably should have won that game. When you look at uh, the kicker, because Mason Crosby has been so solid for them, and then right before the season got underway, they changed punters and changed holders. Then as the season went on, they got rid of one long snapper, brought in a new long snapper. Now, I got into the discussion of rotation of the football on the delivery back to the holder, and, and I understand about the weight distribution of the football when you have to have the, the, the threads pointed straight forward and the reasons as to why and how that can mentally affect the kicker 
is all of this now become so almost sabermetric, so to speak, or is this something that's always been in the nomenclature of special teams? It's a good, it's, a pretty, it's very observant on your part. Pretty good. Um, it's always been a big part of it, but it's been so right now. It's it's really uh, it's really very friendly, and I'll, and I'll give you the reasons. I'll take you through it real quickly, and I'll ask you a couple of questions. You give me the answer. You know, what's okay. the color of the ball that they're using today in the NFL? It's a much darker ball, almost a black. Thank you. Thank you. Good man. That's exactly right. Why? Because the ball's buffed up. It's a, it's a friendly ball. That's legal. It's 13 pounds. Everything's legal. It goes. The officials open up six balls for the kicker. Now, the ball's for the quarterback. Hey, your girlfriend can have them for a week. Nobody cares. As long as you don't <laughs> take them and adjust it, like Tom Brady was accused of doing. I mean, as long as you just leave it alone. Okay. Now, the kicking balls, they buff them up. It's just like you shine shoes. You take a piece of AstroTurf, they put it on a table, they overinflate the ball, and they buff it like you'd shine your shoes. Then they put it back to the right pounds per square inch. So what you have is you have a more pliable ball. When the foot hits it, it constricts around the foot and explodes off. So you've got a good, friendly ball. Not illegal, but a friendly ball. Okay. Last time you saw a bad snap. Not very often. Because right now, you can't line anybody up on the center. So long snappers look like high school phys ed teachers. No disrespect. That's what they are. You can't hit them. So the snaps are nearly all perfect. Now, the real good guys know how to adjust the ball a little bit, and it comes back with the laces almost perfect. But even if it doesn't, we perfected, and I had, I had a lot to do with this, of how to hold. The holder puts his back leg up. When he catches the ball, he brings it back. He takes his inside elbow and drives it in to the inside part of his leg, his thigh, his knee. That puts the ball right down perfectly on the spot. So you almost always have a perfect snap and nearly a perfect hold. How many field goals do you see blocked up the middle anymore? None. Zero. Hardly ever, almost, yeah. Almost never, right? Because you can't line up and push the guy. You can't get on the center. You can't use and push off and go over top with leverage. You can't do any of those things. So really, what you've done, you've, you've minimized a lot of the rush. So therefore, you've got a, a pretty a situation where you should have a friendly ball, a perfect snap, a perfect hold, and very little pressure. So therefore, you've got an environment that's friendly enough to help the kicker. Now, I'm not. I have no disrespect to the kickers because I think some of them are great. They're big, strong, athletic people. They're really good. You know, when it all started back with like the the Gogolacks back when you, know, you had. Kids came out of soccer. They look like little high school kids. Not now. These guys are good. And you better be making 80% some of your kicks or you've got to find another kicker. Because all the environment is right for it to be successful. If it's not, now the other thing you have to do as a coach, sometimes you've got to make it a little tough on these guys. I used to torture some of our guys, and I had great kickers. I had a Lindo Mari, and you know, I, I really had you know, Pro Bowls, Pete Stojanovic, you know, kids that were really good. Nick Folk that did a heck of a job. And what I would do, like I'd tell our holders sometimes, don't give them even one hold that's correct. Screw up every hold. Oh, he'd be mad. They'd all be yelling at each other. And I was the one who was doing it. Then at the end, I'd stop and say, you know what? I can lay the ball down flat and you can make the damn kick if you just hit it right. You've got to do these things. We'd be kicking warming up off the hash. And I'd all of a sudden say, all right, move over here. And I'd move way outside the hash. I'd say, we're going to keep kicking till you hit the right goalpost. Well, next thing you know, they hit the goalpost. 
you have to do this stuff to keep it going, to make it fun. I always, sometimes I would bring out a bucket of water. I'd tell my assistant, I want to soak that ball every single snap, every snap. Well, you wonder why we made a bunch of kicks? That's why. We did these things. Like Will Lutz down in New Orleans, he didn't miss anything. He had the highest percentage in the league. These are the kind of things you have to do as a coach. You have to be a little bit creative. And if you're not, then I don't know. Then you end up just being a mediocre guy. Mike, it's it's fantastic to talk to you. I completely appreciate it. Uh, talk a little bit about your book. Um, I'm so proud of it. My whole career, I've always thought that I wanted to chronicleize what I had done. You know, I came in a unique time and place where special teams, and I trust me, when I walked, I was an offensive line guy. You know, and I coached defense in college. With I looked at I know, and all of a sudden here I'm with Frank Cush, and he was going to fire the special teams coach. I said, I don't fire him, Frank. Let me help. I'll take it over. Well, yeah, good luck, Mike. But I didn't know anything. I didn't, I had a notebook that should have come with crayons the way this guy's notebook. So I started, and I figured it out, and I started writing in my own notebook and putting it together. And then I was in a time where there was zero, and I mean zero, um, variance where really there was almost no creativity. And, but at the same time, there was no regulation. So the stuff that I did, you couldn't do any of it today. I mean, you know, we, so I went, I got our defensive coordinator, Bud Carson, who's one of the best in the history of football. I said, Bud, take me through your perimeters of defense, setting an edge, stacking people, da, 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 da. And I designed my coverage on those perimeters. Well, all of a sudden we were the best, one of the best coverage teams in the league everywhere I was. I said, okay, now how are we going to make a return? I said, well, I'm going to create an offensive running play. I want a double team. I want a trap. I want to set up a wall. I'm going to set up a wedge. I want to da 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 And that's that's how I got started. And, um, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll give you a statistic here. I was with the, my years with the New York Jets. I had nine, nine different guys that led the National Football League in returns. Well, I'll put that up against anybody. I didn't have Devin Hester, but I had nine guys that led the league. I didn't care. Right. We figured it out. They all stole all my stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cocky about it. I know I am. But it was fun. I had a ball. And I wanted to talk about the guy that came into the league that nobody knew. He wasn't heralded. You know, like when I went out, you can you hear his side of it, not just mine, because we interviewed them. Barry Wilner to help me. I wrote every word, but he conducted the interviews. And you hear Zach Thomas talk about it. I'm the only coach that went out to work him out. When I was there, he was 5'10 and a half, and he weighed 223 pounds. He should go in the Hall of Fame. And I, so I drafted him as a special teams player. Yeah, I know Jimmy was the head coach, but I drafted him. I don't care what Jimmy said. That was my guy. <laughs> and to make a long story short, this is the story I wanted to tell. I wanted to talk about these guys that came out of nowhere and drastically and dramatically changed the game. And then all of a sudden, you know, this whole part became very prominent. All of a sudden, they were talking about a special teams coach. Now they're back to the point where the only time they mention his name if he can't figure it out. And that and that's what has changed so much. Um, and it's just changed. But that's what I wanted to write about. And I'm very, very proud of it. I think it's a good story that people will really enjoy. They'll hear these guys. And, and a lot of it is in their language. So it's, it's a little bit X-rated now when you get this book. Now, this is right there. <laughs> and There's I have nothing wrong with that. And pictures, and it's what we actually really did, and what they thought of it. And it just was so much fun to do. It took me two years, 
but I can't tell you how proud I am. And I think people will really enjoy it. And it'll be a fun read. And they're going to, you know, instead of the quarterback, is he going to make 160 million or is he not happy or whatever? No, 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 no. This is the guy that came out of nowhere and how physical we were and how cleanly physical, you know, I I never taught to hit above the shoulder or below the knee, but we'd knock the hell out of you. You play against us. now. (laughs) You're going to, you're going to get smacked. Mike, it's great. It's great stuff. I appreciate all Thank the time, you. all the insight, man. Thank you so much. And I'll tell, make sure people go out and look for it. Mike Westhoff's got a fantastic book out and great knowledge. And we thank you for joining us for a couple of minutes, Mike. Okay, thanks thank so much. Sorry, sorry to go on. Thanks a lot. Though. No, you no, that's great. okay. I appreciate it so much, okay? Sure. Thank you. Talk, talk to you soon. There you go. That's Mike Westhoff joining us for a couple of minutes on the hotlines, former special teams coach in the NFL. we got some actors coming up next. We're going to do a little Hollywood for you. Stay tuned. we got a lot more of the Bill Michael Show. We are live in the L.A. Convention Center coming up next. Ready? This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. We are glad to have you. The Bill Michael Show. We continue on. We are broadcasting live. We are on Radio Row. Hanging out here in L.A. And we'll be joined by uh, some actors coming up here uh, shortly. Uh, Joe Mantegna is uh, going to be joining us. And also uh, our friends. He friend, was in uh, Godfather 3. He was in Godfather 3. Yeah. And then, He's been uh, in all kinds of shows. You know what? Way back in the day after Elvis. And Ronnie uh, Marmo is going to be here with him. Ronnie, Both okay. Minds. Elvis, uh, uh, when Elvis passed, ABC did a big movie of the week, and uh, Joe Montana played Joe Esposito, one of the uh, the Memphis Mafia. You know, Elvis's right hand guy. Right, that was one of his first big roles, and that show got huge ratings back in the day on ABC. You know, the late seventies, early eighties or so. But no, right. Joe's Joe's one of these guys that um, you know they talk about all those tributes to Betty White. Yeah. You know, and why she kept working? Right. Because she was a pro. Because she knew insides and outs of broadcasting, shooting film, doing game shows and all that kind of things. And I think that's why this guy keeps on getting gigs, you know, yeah. to this day in his 70s or so, uh, because he's been in it for so long. And yeah. Criminal Minds is a really popular show. You know, CSI and all these. Now it's know, in, in syndication. It was on CBS for a long mm-hmm. time, if I'm not mistaken. Law but. and order on that. I was talking to Erica, our producer. She said, you know, the thing, I, I've studied criminal justice, and she said, what's great about that show is they, they really go into depth into the profiles. What What is the behavior? What's triggering this guy right. to, to commit these crimes? And that's obviously something that the FBI has to get more into is those motivations more and more. Did you hear Mike Westhoff? Did you hear any of that? I did. Now, he, he, he mentioned the name Bud Carson. Now, Bud was uh, the head coach of the Randall Rack at Georgia Tech in the early 70s. Right. And as a kid growing up, we moved all around. His daughter went to my high school. Oh, really? And Dana was the homecoming queen. She was beautiful. <laughs> and Bud was a great guy then, like, in his early 40s and good defensive-minded coach down there at Georgia Tech. They had, you know, Tech and Georgia back then were competing back and forth for attention. And then he got into Pittsburgh under Chuck Knoll 
and that steel curtain mm-hmm. and that roster they had in those Super Bowls. And, you know, they had a player named Tony Dungy that was in there. Right, you know, and right, Mean right. Joe Green, all that. So, and, and then they had an assistant coach. Named, I forgot they had Mean Joe Green they, in there. They had a guy named jo, uh, Dom Capers. You've heard of him. <laughs> Who came up with that zone blitz thing? That yeah. they, they, you know, That's where he developed that haircut. Too. Lambert. Oh. <laughs> We're on the air, man. We're on the air. <laughs> the, the most interesting thing that I think he had to say was the fact that. Um, so he worked for Bud, and he talked right. about that that defensive aggressiveness, like that to use that on teams. Well, but what he said was, he said, "I didn't even have to look at the film." at what the Packers were doing. It was wrong. It, oh, yeah. It, yeah. I yeah. mean, he just he yeah. just said, I didn't just, have to just, look. Just it was wrong. Off. Well, I think the other thing that he said, too, is he admitted he'd worked for a coach who said, I don't want to think about special teams. Right. Go and do they, it. They keep dumping it off on guys yeah. like that. And you see, that's the thing that I asked Mo Drayton when he got the job after Meninga, is that special teams is such a tough gig. Right. It's seven or eight plays a game. Yeah. But if you screw up... I mean, the absolute worst that could have they're going to any guy that wants to get a job in special teams as a player or a a coordinator is going to watch that Packers 49ers game to say, here's how bad it is. Don't do it. Every head coach next next summer in training camp, they're going to play some of those clips like that and say, and when it gets to special teams, you know, this is what we don't want to be. Here's we keep telling you how bad it could be or how how difference much of a difference it could make to your game, to your season, and all that. Here's the prime example of it. But you know, I'm I asked Maurice Drayton, what what is it about you? How did you get attracted to this? And he said, I was a player. At the Citadel, and I was trying to find a path, you know, to get yeah, on the field, yeah. and I found her was in special teams, and I, I took it to heart, and I, you know, played all over the field, and then I started hanging out with the coaches of it, and so that's when I thought, well, this guy's got a chance, and who knows, maybe he'll reinvent himself and, and get back at it, but he was, he, you know, he had that passion for special teams, and you thought that maybe that could somehow translate into the field. It was such, it, it was the first time that and again a lot of the stuff that we've talked about on the show about spin rate going back from the snapper to the holder you know the way the holder is supposed to place the football what that can do to the kicker so when we talk about you know people get pissed off and they say mason doesn't have it anymore that's why i say you know what he may not i don't know but hold the brakes pump them for a second because there's so much more to this than, than meets the eye he went through the whole thing he talked about spin rate. He talked about the rules changing, about how it's easier. The the snapper has nothing to do but snap the ball. It's not blocking or anything anymore, and how the holder has to be this way and has to be perfect. And then he talked about scuffing of the football and the way they're rubbed down and how it becomes kicker-friendly. And he said that's why the balls always look really glossy and black rather than the brown that the football should look like and what they're doing to the footballs. And I mean, it was the first time you got in-depth discussion as to things that go on in the process from snap to hold to kick and the blocks around them and he said in this he said i don't even have to go back and watch the film this was such a catastrophic failure on a part of the special teams and he said somebody's got to go well here's the other thing don't forget you know put yourself in marie straight and your special teams coordinator this past year put yourself in his shoes you come out of training camp and jk scott your punter your drafted punter from the last two or three years you had a game in Buffalo. It's kind of hot up there, summertime, August. 
And you get to the third quarter and say, okay, punt team, we need a punt. And he's like, oh, man, I, I can't go, Coach. I right. got a little spasm in the thigh here. I can't, you know. Yeah. I, I, um, the heat's getting to me. Like, really? Really? Right. And so they got to trot, you know, Mason Crosby out there to punt yeah. in, a, in a preseason game. Or some of the things that he had to go through there as an assistant last year with J.K. and some of his kind of weird idiosyncrasies. And then not to mention just not being a consistent kicker. A guy who first came to Green Bay and could kick the ball 65 yards routinely, then starting to shank, starting to miss. So they cut him as they get into the season. Bringing this Corey Bohorquez, left-footed kicker. So that, you know, poses some actually some advantages Mm-hmm. You know, they, they kind of screw up uh, returners because they don't see that very often. But he's got to be also be your holder. Then you start questioning this Hunter Bradley, who I kind of had reservations about him three years ago. You know, there's a lot of people that never understood why they didn't bring back Brett Good another year or right. two as the long snapper. I mean, hell, Rob Davis was the long snapper up there over a dozen years or so. So as Mo Drayton's like, uh, listen, we're, we're getting rid of the long snapper. We're bringing in another guy and off the street. Oh, right. Okay. So, you know, those are the kinds of things he had to adapt to. And then meanwhile, you've got your veteran place kicker, Mason Crosby, not happy. Not right, happy. Right, right, right. Hey, this, this needs to be fixed. This, this isn't the right way. This doesn't look the right way. And the memory of those, those missed kicks that Mason has against the Bengals, I mean, it was not an easy gig to walk into with the way that they were making those changes on those particular operations, not to mention just trying to see if he can get enough regular guys uh, that were his routine gunners that helped out with coverage that could, you know, help him, uh, you know, have better coverage on both kick and punt teams uh, throughout the the rest of the regular season. But then again, the strategies that they used against the 49ers, inexcusable. I mean, the 49ers just moved a couple chess pieces around. And it was checkmate. Simple as that. Yeah, it was something that was easily, you know, figured out, so to speak. And that was that was one of the downfalls of the Green Bay Packers and their season. So uh, it was uh, it was interesting to listen to Mike's take on all of this and how easy it is to kind of decipher because it's so simple. And it, yet, if you screw it up, it's so monumentally bad. And he just said, I didn't even have to go back and look at the film. I could see exactly what happened. Uh, we are going to be joined by Ronnie Marmo. And uh, Joe Mantegna, uh, they are both from the show Criminal Minds and both actors here in Hollywood. They're out and about, and uh, we're going to talk with them. They should be joining us here at the table and joining us uh, live and in person on the Bud Light live stream. That should be coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Stay tuned. We are broadcasting live at the L.A. Convention Center out here in uh, Los Angeles, getting you ready for Super Bowl 56. Hanging out between the uh, L.A. Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. That is going to be coming up on Sunday. But a lot of good stuff out here on Radio Row. Brought to you by our good friends over there at Cunis RV. Don't forget to go to Cunis RV for all of your RV and camping needs, whether it's a travel trailer, motorhome, whatever it happens to be, tow behind, you name it. They've got it and all the accessories, storage, service. Go to Cunis, K-U-N-E-S, CunisRV.com. That is Cunis rv.com one more thing don't forget about our uh, friend Stenny, second and national walkers point milwaukee's best sports bar award-winning bloody mary's shuttles to all the games packers brewers bucks admirals marquette uwm they got it tell them we said hi stop in and say hi to our friends down at Stenny's. we've got more uh the bill michael show broadcasting live out here in la we'll be back coming up right after this 
This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. And we are broadcasting live out here in L.A. at the convention center as uh, we uh, continue with Radio Row and everything that's going on uh, out here. The Pat McAfee show I can hear is you now want to underway. Talk to Justin Jefferson from the Vikings. Sure, we talked to Justin Jefferson. Are you okay with that? We'd love to. All right, he's coming over. Is he really? Yeah. You got him. Yeah. He's you snag- see, that's the kind of stuff that. It's reason you're alone. Well, it's 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 Erica. Really? Yeah. It's your producer, but yeah. No, I we went over there. And I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And then the wave and all that. And he's like, oh, yeah. So, hey, I think he's going to come over here and talk some Vikings trash. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. No. You know, hey, both teams are sitting home right now. Yeah. Unfortunately. We've all got free time. <laughs> yes. We've got stuff to do. I'm sure he's going to try to pimp us some Old Spice. Probably. Along the way. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But, uh, yeah. So, that okay. We're going to be joined momentarily. Yeah. With both teams stinking up the field right the end. Yeah. Time to get out the Old Spice. We're going to be joined by uh, Justin Jefferson, so that's uh, that's not a bad way to go. No. So we'll talk with him coming up here uh, momentarily. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, when you, because um, you're wandering around while I'm on the air, what's catching your eye as things begin to get a little bit uh, busier here? And I want to talk some Badger basketball here eventually, but if we're going to get well, Justin Jefferson. Well, there were there's hanging around talking to Joe Montagna, the actor, you know, because of that. Uh, I'll be honest, um, I thought there was some commotion going on, and it was Pat McAfee shouting from across the convention center. I mean, the, the guy is loud. He just screams and screams right. and screams. Um, I think the other thing is uh, folks just getting more excited about this matchup and this game uh, for what the Bengals pose as a, kind of a Cinderella team. The Rams, as a, a home team, and technically the AFC is the home team this year uh, at, at SoFi on Sunday night at, at 5.30. But uh, this is something that the Rams owners and organization has been pl- you know, planning for, for years to bring the Rams to L.A., build a new stadium, get all the way around that. They've got their facility up in Thousand Oaks, which is really kind of a temporary facility that I was at. What was it three years ago now? I went up there. Sam Shields was with the Rams then, and I did an interview with him. He had just put out a thing in the uh, the uh, Players' Tribune about the problems that he had with concussions while he was still with the Packers, and uh, some of the you know hidden stories that were there. But uh, you know they brought out Sean McVay, man, and the guy you know has has become as predicted kind of a rock star in this league. Got the team to a Super Bowl, but lost 13-3. to One of the key things that I've been talking about on this show for two or three years is what made a difference in that Super Bowl, special teams. Mm-hmm. You know, the field position in that game was just unbelievable. If you watched it on TV, there wasn't time because they cut to those seven-minute commercial breaks, and there wasn't time to say, man, look at that putt. They, went, they punted that ball 55 yards, and then the— you know, the, the, the coverage team downed it there at the five, and they just kept on burying Tom Brady and uh, Jared Goff deep in their territory. So that why that's partly why it wasn't such a very high-scoring game. Uh, but, you know, this is, you know, a lot of work. And, and now here you've got what a dream come true, actually, for two years in a row. You put together a football team, and it's your home stadium. 
Now, you know, you got to see if the Cinderella team from Cincinnati that hasn't been here in 33 years can come in and uh, knock them off and take the Lombardi home back to Ohio. So it's, it's a great story. It's, it's, it's going to be exciting, and, and, and we're going to hear more and more people uh, talking about the game all week long. Uh, let's do this. We're going to step away, take a quick break. We're going to come back. Uh, Justin Jefferson is going to be joining us coming up here shortly. Going to be talking some Hollywood coming up here in about 45 minutes. Gary Myers, the uh, the writer for Sports Illustrated, going to be here as well. we got a lot going on broadcasting live out here in L.A. at the L.A. Convention Center on Radio Row, getting you ready for Super Bowl 56. Stay tuned. we got more coming up right after this. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is The Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Now, here's Mike Clemens. The Bengals and the Rams reviewing the game plan and holding press conferences at the Super Bowl. The Bill Michael Show broadcasting live all week from the NFL Media Headquarters here in Los Angeles for Super Bowl 56. Last night, Bengals fans held a huge pep rally to send the team off to L.A. running back Joe Mixon. It's a great moment to be in this here position. You know, the city, they've been waiting for this for 31, 32 years. And uh, for me to be able to be a part of something so special like this, man, it, it just means everything. I know what it means to the city. I know what it means to the, the fans. I know what it means to the owner and also the players, man. So I'm bought in here to do whatever I can, man, and put us in the best position to win. Rams head coach Sean McVay lost to Bill Belichick and the Patriots in the Super Bowl three years ago. McVay says reaching out to other coaches in the area helped. Yeah, it's a pretty special thing, Michael. Um, I, I would say one of the most unique things and one of the things that I've really enjoyed is, you know, getting an opportunity to meet other special leaders and that kind of that connection that you're able to to establish. Um, Dave Roberts and I, I got a chance to meet him going back to when I first got here and I just have tremendous respect for the way that he leads. I've really been a big fan of the Dodgers, you know, starting because, you know, you're living in L.A., but also because of Dave Roberts. And so we have kept in touch, got to have a great relationship with Doc Rivers. He and I still really keep in great touch. You know, I know Doc's not here anymore, but but Doc Rivers and I, he's he's been a, a huge influence on me as well. And the Packers are poised to name the Raiders Rich Pisaccia, the team's new special teams coordinator in Green Bay. Pisaccia on how much analytics apply to improving special teams in the NFL. You know, analytics is a part of everything that we do now, so we're certainly um, respectful of that. And But as, if I'm kicking a Cordero Patterson, you know, it's, he's taking it out nine deep. So sometimes the analytic part don't really work really good. It has a lot to do with who's back there. How good are the blockers in front of them? What kind of kicking team are we right now? That's special teams coordinator Rich Bisaccia. In Los Angeles, I'm Mike Clemens on The Bill Michaels Show. And uh, getting you ready for Super Bowl 56 as uh, the coverage here on Radio Row continues. Uh, myself, we've got Mike Clemens, uh, who is on hand, uh, Erica doing our floor producing as well. And uh, we've got a plethora of guests. Justin Jefferson of the Minnesota Vikings is going to join us. Um, join us coming up here after the top of the hour. Then we're going to be joined after that and uh, at the bottom of the hour by uh, Ronnie Morrow and uh, Joe Matenya. 
And uh, they are the actors off of the show Criminal Minds. They are going to be here in person. We're going to talk with uh, Gary Myers here today, uh, the writer for Sports Illustrated. He is going to be joining us uh, either today or tomorrow. At some point, going to be joined by A.J. Hawk. As right now, you've got the Pat McAfee show being... Uh, uh, it's going on. I shouldn't say being filmed, but going on uh, just over on the FanDuel set, which is just off to my right. And uh, AJ's going to join. Maybe McAfee will come over with him. Who knows? We'll wait and see what happens there. But that being said, they're going to be coming over. He'll be coming over. So we'll uh, talk to those guys. So in the meantime, you got a couple of contests coming up tonight. Number 18, Marquette on the road, taking on number 24, UConn, in a big game tonight in the Big Ten, Wisconsin and Michigan State. And, Ben, I know Wisconsin's dropped down to number 14 in the coaches' poll, in the ESPN coaches' poll. But, uh, you know, again, you talked about a game that we thought they would get really healthy on Penn State. They eked out a win in a sloppy kind of game against Penn State. What are you looking for tonight? I, I mean, the team has to shoot better. I think through this season, they have been the worst Big Ten team at shooting behind the arc. And when Johnny Davis isn't hitting, which has been the case even really anywhere on the court, they need Brad Davis and they need those guys to shoot well. And that just hasn't happened. They, they were lucky to beat Penn State. And Penn State's not a great basketball team, but Wisconsin just could not do anything on offense. Penn State didn't score for the first pretty much 17 minutes of the game. It was insane. So, they, yeah, they got away with a win, but they have to shoot the ball well. Um, they're not going to be able to go on the road and beat these good teams if they don't. Here's the thing with, um, you know, going back to the game that they had, the game that they had uh, again, the, uh, a couple of nights ago against uh, Illinois, they were 0 for, for a long time when it came to shooting the basketball from beyond the arc. They were shooting beyond the arc for quite some time at a really good clip. They're not right now. And that's part of the problem is they're not hitting from the outside. They're one-and-dones when they come down the floor. To me, one of the keys for Wisconsin to kind of get back on track is to start hitting from beyond the arc. Yeah, that's a big part of it. That Illinois game was weird because Illinois, great basketball team. I think first place in the Big Ten right now. But Wisconsin could have won that game. They shot three for 24 from deep, and a couple of those were in garbage time. If they hit any of them, they get a win at Illinois, which is really tough to come by. But to me, it's also Johnny Davis has to be able to start hitting his shot and scoring like he was in the beginning of the year. But Brad Davison does, too. Tyler Wall's been crazy consistent throughout the season, but Davison has hit a kind of a cold rut. So now that Davis has struggled and he gets triple team, double team all game, and Davison isn't able to hit from the outside, that really limits what your offense can do. And you're just not going to be able to beat these really good Big Ten teams without him. In the meantime, you got Michigan State, who has been playing some uh, really good hoops, albeit they lost to Rutgers. They're coming off of a loss. Now, they and they not only got beat, they got beat bad. 84-63, they got drilled by Rutgers. Don't forget, they beat Maryland on the road, but they eked that win out 65-63. Prior to that, though, they drilled Michigan. So uh, maybe if you're going to talk about I mean, the last time they played to Wisconsin, what was it, 80, 86, 74, I think is what it was. Maybe you're catching Michigan State right now at the right time. Maybe both teams. It's kind of that just before you really crank it up for the end of the season run, it, maybe you're in that midway lull right now. Maybe both teams have kind of hit that. So maybe something gives tonight over in East Lansing, hopefully in the Badgers' favor. But you're, you also have the, the Spartans coming off of a loss to Rutgers in which they performed rather poorly. Well, that's tough because last time Wisconsin and Michigan State played, Michigan State was coming off a loss at, against Northwestern at home. 
which is a really bad loss. So that mm-hmm. was, you figured, that was a time to get him at home Friday night at the Kohl Center, and Michigan State just shot the lights out. So I don't really put that much stake into it. It's kind of, the Big Ten kind of has that NFL mentality of any given Sunday, any team can beat. And if you go to Rutgers, it's a weird place to play. It's just a weird mm-hmm. stadium. It's a weird vibe. But I don't know. I'm not concerned necessarily about how Michigan State performs because they've been pretty consistent. They don't have a big star, but they have a lot of good contributors. It's what can Wisconsin do to reverse the last couple weeks of struggles. Have you noticed, because one of the things you talked about was uh, the Badger grit, and we, we were going back and forth in text uh, when we were watching some games prior in the season. And the grit, while the grit has been there as far as the hustle factor, uh, which you can't, you, it equates to steals, it equates to rebounds, it equates to getting up and down the floor. But the hustle factor, the grit is still there. It's the execution after the fact that has not been. I go back to shooting, and, and I, they're one of the worst shooting teams right now in the Big Ten, correct me if I'm wrong. It's been the shooting. So it's not like they're not getting open looks. It's just that when they do, they're just they're clanking some of them. It, it, to me, this just comes down to can they shoot the basketball better, and can they get any kind of points out of their bench when they need them the most? Yeah, I mean, they, they out-rebounded Illinois. Like, that doesn't happen with a Kofi Coburn team at Illinois. They had 12 offensive rebounds there. And that's Tyler Wall. That's the whole team working hard on the glass. They do everything right. Yeah, as you like, they just can't hit shots right now. And if they get hot going down the stretch, then maybe we'll see a run in the Big Ten and in the NCAA. But, yeah, it needs to start tonight because they won't win with the performance they had against Penn State. Uh, in the meantime, uh, some other headlines today. Tom Brady, I don't know if anybody saw this, but has said that he is, quote, happy with his decision about uh, you know retirement. But now he's throwing a little shade out there saying, never say never. Because he said he doesn't know how he's going to feel in a few months from now. And if he's going to get the itch to come back, he said he wanted to play until he was 45. He's not quite 45 yet. He will be later this year. But all of a sudden, now you've got Tom Brady saying, He's trying to make the best possible decision. Uh, he said, I can at the moment. And then he goes on to say, I'm definitely not looking to, to, to come back at this point in time. In reverse course, he said, but at the same time, I think you have to be realistic about you never know what the challenges are going to be in life. And I love playing. I'm looking forward to doing other things than playing. But I'm not going to say that I may get the itch again. So Tom Brady thinking that maybe, just maybe, if he gets the itch, he's going to stay in shape, he's going to work out, uh, and he says that if he, in about a month or two, he starts to get that itch again, he may not necessarily be done. I personally think he's done. Uh, I I just don't think he's going to be that guy that comes back. Uh, But, um, you know, he's kind of throwing it out there a little bit that he may want to come back. In the meantime, other news hitting closer to home, Charles Woodson says today that, oh, yeah, by the way, if I'm Brian Gutekind, so the Green Bay Packers, the general manager, I might have to take a very serious hard look at trading Aaron Rodgers while you're going to get the most for him. Now, that's kind of contrary to what a lot of people believe and what the Packers believe at this point. Uh, There's now talk out in this area that with Kyler Murray, for whatever reason, and we haven't seen all the reasoning as to why, but apparently he is completely unhappy with the Cardinals organization. Now there's some talk that possibly with a team that's ready to win, like the Cardinals are, and they've got good weaponry and such out there, that they could possibly make a swap Kyler Murray for Aaron Rodgers. 
And that is that something that and that's just some of the buzz that's out here in, in this particular area, the West Coast area right now, that uh, maybe that would not be another landing spot for yet Aaron Rodgers. So although I can't ever see if they do decide to trade Aaron Rodgers away, I can't imagine that it's ever going to be in the NFC. You just don't want to see the guy come back and beat you. So, hey, coming up after the top of the hour, Justin Jefferson, wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings, the people in purple. The dreaded, uh, you know, the, the dreaded rivalry, so to speak. He's going to come over and join us. He's going to swing by the table and say hi, representing Old Spice. I want to say thanks to our friends at Albanese's Roadhouse, Joey and a gang. Great people. If you're looking for Italian food, you're out west in the uh, Brookfield area, the Waukesha area, the Delafield area. Hey, make that trip. You want to play a little bocce ball? There you go. That's our buddy Joey and the gang out there on Blue Mountain Road, Albanese's Roadhouse, and they do some incredible catering. And don't forget to see them and visit them at uh, the Wisconsin State Fair as well. Also got to say hi to our friends at the Wrestling Taco. Marcus, Nicole, everybody over there right on 84th Street, just south of State Fair Park in West Dallas. Our great people take us uh, anywhere and everywhere and put us out here on a lot of these uh, on-site location broadcasts. We can't say thanks enough to our sponsors for doing so. So go in and support them for as much as they support us. We're going to go ahead and get out of here and take a quick break for the top of the hour. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Justin Jefferson, the Minnesota Vikings. Don't forget, coming up the bottom of the hour, Joe Montaigne and uh, Ronnie Morrow uh, are both going to join us, and they are from the show Criminal Minds. Uh, both actors, they have got a lot going on. Uh, obviously, Joe is from the Chicago area, so we'll talk with him a little bit about uh, maybe some of his past thoughts. Uh, he's going to be joining us uh, maybe as a former Bears fan, maybe former, maybe we convert him. Also, Gary Myers from Sports Illustrated is going to be here. we got a lot going on. It's just starting to, re- you feel it? It's just starting to ramp up a little bit. Just starting to, yeah, get going. Get going a little bit. We're sitting here inside the L.A. Convention Center. The NFL fan experience is going on off to our west, and uh, which is just awesome. And it's huge. We got uh, A.J. Hawk, Pat McAfee. They're both going to try to swing by a little bit later on. If you don't hear it today, we'll hear it tomorrow. Hear it tomorrow on the program. A lot of good stuff. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We're going to come back. Justin Jefferson, wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings, going to join us next on the Bill Michael Show. The Bill Michaels Show Podcast. Listen, rate, subscribe.